That's when I said, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I was very unsatisfied, very unfulfilled, despite having just about everything that I've ever wanted. And I knew that it was a midlife crisis. You have a purpose in life that you were created to do. I knew that for the 15 years since I prayed that prayer of salvation, I just felt God saying, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. And I think I took that job as a CEO of that company where he didn't want me to do that. And so while I had all these great job offers, it was really decision time. Would I continue on in corporate America and feel unfulfilled or would I hold out to see what it might be that's my purpose in life? I held out. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig. And I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. This episode really hits home for me as we dive deep into hat numbers six, seven, and four, the philanthropist, the seeker, and the entrepreneur as I interview my guest, Don Larson. After witnessing extreme poverty in Mozambique, Africa, Don, a former executive at Hershey Foods, sold off all his worldly possessions and founded the Sunshine Nut Company, where he donates 90% of his profits on the belief that a value-driven business, where dignity, love, and community come together with excellence, could provide lasting social, economic, and even spiritual change in some of the poorest countries around the world. As we'll hear in a moment, Don not only talks a good game, but more importantly, he walks the talk. I'm so excited to get this going. So without further ado, let's welcome Don to the Seven Hats. Don, welcome to the Seven Hats. Thank you, Yuval. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. I wanted to start by saying that you embody the hat that I myself aspire to the most, the hat of the philanthropist. You're actually walking the talk. You do what 99% of the 1% won't do or are afraid to do. So seven hatters, Don doesn't just talk about how sad it is that people suffer. He has done something about it and has done it at a scale of tremendous scope and impact. And he's just getting started. And I can't wait for you to hear his story. So Don, I've studied your story. And I have so many questions, but first, let's tell the listeners, the seven hatters, who you are and some of the major formative experiences of your younger life that formed the basis of who you are today. So let's start with where were you born and where did you grow up? So I was born in Chicago. My father worked for R.R. Donnelly, a printing company, large printing company in Chicago. He was transferred when I was six years old to the coast of uh, New England, Connecticut, where he ran a very large printing company. They printed just about every magazine you can think of. From there, I lived right on the coast of Connecticut. The ocean was our backyard until 13, where he then said, we're going to be moving to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And he showed me a National Geographic, which they printed at the time, that had a bunch of Amish kids. I'm like, these are going to be my new friends? (laughs) And I was... Not too excited about that, but Lancaster was actually an incredibly great place to to grow up. And I grew up there. I went to college at Penn State a couple hours away, married my wife who I met at Penn State. We settled in to uh, Lancaster. My first job was with RCA, New Products Division. I was a industrial engineer with a robotics automation background, working on a fully automated line with a bunch of employees as well. But then I transitioned after a couple of years into food because RCA was sold to NBC and I didn't want to hang around to see what happened. 
So growing up, was your environment conditioning you more towards a life of capitalism or a life of servitude? Definitely capitalism. Yeah, I had a very fun upbringing. I was very not serious about life, yet I knew that I would have to become serious. My friends and I were all the non-serious types and partied a lot and enjoyed life and then got to school, was just doing a lot more partying, but I met a beautiful woman that was straight A, honor roll, dean's list, everything, and I had to prove that I actually was smart. So when I met her, everything changed. I became top student, graduated. Within one week, in the same week, I graduated, got a car, got a job, and asked my girlfriend to marry me. And so I had a radical life change that put me into the spirit of capitalism, I would say. Yeah. So what were your early work experiences like and how did you end up working for the Hershey's company? Yeah. So I was hired as an engineering uh, manager and I had at the age of 22, I had seven men my father's age that I supervised that were engineering technicians all technical, all with attitude. And it was a very valuable experience with me for how to manage people. If I can manage these guys, I can manage anything. So I actually did a very good job, not by building, but drawing them in. And I noticed your books, Ken Blanchard's book and the seven habits and all, we went through all those at Hershey. At the time, my father weighed in and gave me insight. He was a leader, but it was really seeking first to understand you know, and then my, I remember my first day on the job, the one elderly man came up to me and said, Don, have you ever heard of the Peter Principle? I said, yes. He said, well, consider me not wanting to ever get promoted and I will only do enough so I don't get fired and never anything more. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know? and, and so what I learned from that, though, is I inspired him and he was one of the best employees and he did stellar performance. And, and it's really, I learned early on that if you can find people's passions, there's nothing more incredible than being able to ignite that passion and watch that person come to fulfillment. And I did, I've done that all through my career. Leading up, I, I quit RCA. I actually transitioned over to a meat company, a 100-year-old meat company. They had no technical person. I was the only engineer and I handled everything technical from building buildings to installing equipment to even new products and, and all. And I, I within five years there, I had done so much that when I interviewed for Hershey, they did not believe that I did all I did the last five years. It was 38 new equipment, new processing lines, 78 major pieces of equipment. Uh, including hot dog lines that ran a million hot dogs a day, you know, big scale stuff. And it allowed me to pick whatever job I wanted. And I had offers from Mars, Kellogg's, and Hershey's. I picked Hershey's because of their culture, their philanthropy, and the fact that my father-in-law grew up as an orphan in the Milton Hershey School and graduated. And I just love the story. And, and that's kind of the leading into what we're doing here in Mozambique. Great story. So without revealing yet what your ultimate purpose would be, how relevant do you feel your early career was at Hershey's to that ultimate purpose? Mm. Well, I will tell you, th there's a big spiritual element to what I do here. Yeah. And I was not thinking anything about my future per se, other than I really enjoy working and I really enjoy just the, the desire to succeed where no one has succeeded before. When I got to Hershey, they gave me everything that was helplessly broken. So while I spent like 13 years at Hershey, I had like a new job every year, managing factories, going out to corporate level projects, introducing new products. But really, things that were messed up, the senior level leadership would to say, hey, everything Don touches turns to gold. He's under a new, I think I reported to every C-level executive, but he, they gave advice to each other. Just don't manage Don, give him the project and let him go off and do it. And he'll come back with something amazing. And I just love that environment. It, it was a great environment. And so 
It really wasn't leading up to what we're doing now other than because I was involved with every different aspect of Hershey, even in procurement, which got me into every redoing and getting into every supplier and all, it all came back to now that I'm in Mozambique, I need every aspect of what I learned every day, including the head of procurement and the head, the, one of the lead negotiators. I'm negotiating with the government every day and not directly confrontationally, but, you know, strategically. It's amazing how previous experiences just shape you. So what happened at age 29? So when I married my wife, I had to become Catholic because I couldn't marry her if I didn't become Catholic. So I became Catholic and I had some Christian upbringing enough to know that we weren't reading the Bible. And so as the years went on, the situation, the circumstances led to us quitting the Catholic Church and going into a Bible-based church. And along with that comes the prayer of salvation and everything, and which I will tell you, from that moment of saying that prayer of salvation, my life changed from one of being a hard-charging executive, wanting to climb the ladder, to really transitioning to just enjoying the work, and not necessarily about getting promoted and everything. And I will tell everyone out there, I tell my kids this, just work hard and tons of work will be thrown at you because everyone's looking for someone who can do things and is wanting to do things. And you work hard, all the opportunities come to you. You don't have to interview anything. And I just raised up the corporate ladder just by taking on projects that I loved and and proving them successful. And so it got to the point where I wasn't really enamored about getting a top-level position. I was more interested in the success, okay? And along with that came the spiritual story of being a good Christian and going to prayer meetings and all this and going to studying to be an elder and the whole works. But I felt there was something more. As I continued to go up the ladder, I'm like, This is not very fulfilling. I I had a hot air balloon business on the side where I'd take balloon flights at night. I had my, I had everything. I had every toy, every creature comfort, including a wonderful and amazing wife and great children. I had everything, but it reached a point where they wanted me to do things that I didn't want to do. They wanted me to trade cocoa, which was the most important position at the company. And I'm like, I don't want to sit in front of a TV at monitors every day, analyzing what's happening in the futures market and talking to the same people about the same things every day to see if something might change in the fundamentals because we're buying like a billion dollars worth of cocoa. And uh, they forced me in the position because many people didn't survive the stress and everything. And I I survived the stress. I took the job for a year on the condition. If I didn't like it, I could move to anything I wanted. But after a year, I did great. And I said, I'm I'm ready to move. And they're like, no, we need you in the position. Sorry. And that's when I quit. And the last thing they wanted me to do was shut down the main Hershey factory. And uh, I didn't want to do that. I did not want to shut down the legacy of Milton Hershey, the 100-year-old chocolate factory that provided the support to take care of orphans and the farming communities and everything. And I thought the core competency of processing cocoa into chocolate was so important. So I quit, then opened, I built the largest cocoa processing factory in the world about an hour away in Philadelphia, the Cocoa Ports of America. Uh, Got it up and running. We started 100 million in sales. I could easily have taken it to a billion dollars because everyone was thinking about outsourcing at that time the Michael Hammer re-engineering and all the different things. I'm sure you've read those books as well. The owners decided that they wanted to sell to the largest chocolate maker in the world out of Switzerland because it was a deal too good for them to pass up. And so without me knowing they sold it, I had a small ownership and uh, they tried to keep that ownership. And it just got really nasty after I had killed myself for two years building this factory. And at that point, I'm like, I'm done with corporate America being forced into the job, and then this situation. There was just a lot of things happening where at that cocoa processing factory, they wanted me to do things that were unethical. And I said, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to allow you to do that. And that kind of allowed, you know, that kind of probably brought their decision to to sell it off. That's when I said, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? 
I had a lot of j- great job offers. I was very unsatisfied, very unfulfilled, despite having just about everything that I've ever wanted. And I knew that it was in what many people think is a midlife crisis. And what I believe it really is, you have a purpose in life that you were created to do. For me, it's God giving his will for your life. For others, there is a purpose. And you can catch glimpses of that. I knew that for the 15 years since I prayed that prayer of salvation, I just felt God saying, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. And I think I took that job as a CEO of that company where he didn't want me to do that. And so while I had all these great job offers, it was really decision time. Would I continue on in corporate America and and feel unfulfilled or would I hold out to see what it might be that's my purpose in life. I held out. Tell us about starting your seminary. Was that the time you started a seminary? So actually what I did is I had some job offers. I had a senior VP position created for me at Campbell Soup, just to be excellent. It was VP of excellence. I'm like, that's a pretty cool job, but it was gonna take months to form the position. And so I took time off. They said. Do you mind taking a few months off? Well, it led to like five or six months off. And during that time is when I dove deep, you know, into a spiritual journey. And it was wild. I was a grateful deadhead when I was younger. So, you know, so I had all my experiences. This surpassed all of them. And, and I, I think the Catholic monks, they've got the best life in the world because they're spending time with God and it's, it's far beyond any drug or alcohol or anything that you can imagine. Until you do it, and, and I, I think very few people get to that level, but I was able to do that. I literally took two years off and I worried everyone. Everyone, they're like, my wife was at work. She taught at a Christian um, high school and people would come up to and say, uh, colleagues, our friends, our family, all were like, Terry, you need to get Don back to work. He's losing it. He's out in the woods right now talking to animals and birds. You need to get him back on track, making money, succeeding in what he was doing. And I chose a different route and and I could still be there, but God had other plans and he made them very evident, very evident. Why, so why do you think it didn't stick? I started seminary. I got into that and I spent a year and a half and it wasn't, it was night courses that were live and all, but it was very clear because people started to come up to me and they would, people would come up and say, um, I think I have a word from God for you. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, sure, go ahead. And after the first one, I started to tape them. And I got like a hundred people that have come up to me and everything was just personal enough that I knew it wasn't them, I knew it was God and just enough to coax me to the next stage, okay? It's, it's mind-boggling. I have a lot of publishing companies want me to write a story because I have it all here. I mean, God is toying with me. By the way, God is the most hilarious, amazing, fun entity. He is so hilarious. And during that time, I was having the best time of my life. The coaxing along finally ended with My wife saying, Don, you need to do something. I'm tired of people coming to me. You you just have to go into business. You have to do something. I'm like, okay, I've got a business plan. I'm going to teach people how they were designed uniquely and they have a purpose and they have something that they need to accomplish. I mean, I had it all. I had 70 pages of PowerPoints. I was ready to go. I had a list of all the really the mega church pastors that I could go and do this. And I was in prayer one morning and And God's like, you're not going to do that. You have absolutely no credibility. I'm like, what do you mean? I've spent all this time doing this. And it's like, I'm going to give you something that's going to be so successful. Then then you'll be able to talk about all this. And so I didn't realize it at the time, but the very process that I had prepared was what God was absolutely putting me through. And the last of this foundational wall four walls. The last wall was getting a strategic assignment that's ideally suited to the way that God designed you. Because we all have bents. Me, I love risk. I love new things. I love all these different aspects that when I finally gave the people who analyzed me what I was going to do in Africa, 
They're like, these people, I paid a lot of money for this analysis called the SEMA analysis. Rick Warren wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life, based on it and Halftime. And a bunch of books were written about the guy that I got to know personally about this process. But the people who did their biographers, they saw what I was planning to do. And they're like, you could not have gotten a more perfect project so ideally suited for the way you're designed than the Project Sunshine going to Mozambique, Africa. I'm like, I know. But the way it happened was I was ready to open that business. I was on my way to Kentucky, a 10-hour drive to meet this guy, to partner with them. And instead, I went down to this conference that was happening. And it was a two to to three-day conference. And I was, the last night we were done, we were worshiping. And I had this old lady tap me on the shoulder and say, excuse me, do you know someone named John? I'm like, my brother's named John. She's like, God's telling me things about you. I'd like you to, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. And there was a whole mind blowing thing about my brother and things that were happening and how God wanted me to pour into my brother's life and everything. But then she said, and by the way, I have something to say to you now. God needs to share something with you. And it was about... You are going down the road and you stopped at a stop sign. You're half in and half out of your car and you have five or six roads and you don't know which one to go down. You're looking for road signs, but God's telling me he took all the road signs down because he doesn't want you going any further. He wants you to wait. On the recording, I'm so embarrassed because I'm like, I told my wife that I was supposed to wait. And so I turned around. I didn't go to Kentucky. I went back home. But this lady said, In three weeks, you'll get partial direction from God. And in three months, you'll get full direction from God. So I circled the date that three weeks was, and I circled the date that three months was. And the exact day, the morning that I was to get partial direction, I was doing a lot of different things, a lot of different projects, but I was going on a whitewater rafting trip with my son. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to meet someone on this whitewater rafting. It's a bunch of high-powered dads with their sons, 15 different dads, and that's going to be my partial direction. But as I got in the shower that morning, and if, if you understand brainwaves, the way that you're talked to by God is if you're in a beta stage, you're in control of your mind. But if you're in an alpha God has the ability to get through to you. And so in your dream stages, he can get through. When you're waking up, you can hear God very clearly. But for me in the shower, there's something that puts me into that alpha stage. And and I used to tell people, I get talked to all the time. I mean, I would have things transpire. I'd get out of the shower and write a whole list of what would transpire during the day, and it would transpire. And that's what makes it so cool. But I got in the shower, and I'm thinking about sleeping bags. I'm thinking about flashlights. I got uh, extra socks and everything. And out of nowhere, I get build food factories in third world nations to bring lasting economic transformation and name it sunshine. And I'm like, wow, uh, that was not me, nor do I want that to be directed towards me. Those are two things I said I would never do again. I would never go back to the food industry. And I would never go back to Africa because when I went to Africa buying all the cocoa for Hershey, the witch doctors were trying to get a hold of me because I was a very important person that would make a very good blood potion and bone potion for them to do all these witch doctor, you know. And so I got horribly sick. And when I got home, I said, I'm never going back to Africa. And when I was done with the food company and I surrendered to the Lord and said, the second half of my life is yours, God. I said I would never go back into the food industry. And so about a year and a half later, two years later, God was saying, I want you going back into the food industry and I want you going back to Africa. And so through a series of events where I developed the Sunshine Approach business model, I got invited by the government of Tanzania for a free consulting to go over to Tanzania to be Um, driven all around the country to see all the farm crops and give them advice. And so I had just, you know, and that was a really cool, how that came about was very divine. And that's another part of the story. I could, I could launch into a hundred stories here about God setting these things all up, but it was exactly three months to the day when that woman said I'd get full direction. 
I'm in front of the government of Tanzania, the head of the banks, the head of the universities, the head of the government, head of the Chamber of Commerce, head of industry there, talking about what they should do and that the Sunshine Approach, which is developing brands that would take care of smallholder crops, turn them from perishable into shelf stable so that they could feed their people and off, but sell around the world either industrial grade, selling into like Campbell's Soup or General Foods or Heinz or whatever, or you could develop your own retail brand and sell directly into the stores. And they loved it. And I remember going back to my hotel room and like, oh my gosh, I've got to move to Africa now. And so that's kind of how we got there. It's a long-winded story, but then the rest is history. It literally, one step at a time, I was transitioned to Mozambique. I met the most amazing people. I mean, the doors have been open and they've been shut. And so I just look for the open doors that God provides. So tell us about the first trip to Africa. What happened when the people found out who you were there uh, with and who you worked for? Yeah, so I I just, I'm doing a a documentary right now because we're doing a large scale project in Mozambique. And so the guy who had dinner with me that first night, I flew into Mozambique on the off chance that I'd see something I liked. And if I didn't, I'd go over to Tanzania and execute and finish the plans I had for Tanzania. And the first night I had dinner with the ex-foreign minister and the ex-health minister, the same guy. And he was now the um, executive director of the President Shizano Foundation, which is the revered president of Mozambique. Both President Shizano and Leonardo Samara both have cashew farms. Both think that cashew is so prominent to Mozambique. And they heard that this executive was coming in. And so I had dinner with him. He he kept pouring the red wine. And, and I know that trick. I used to do that trick to find out cocoa details in Manhattan. And so at the end of the night, he said, I've never met anyone like you. I, I, I arrange everyone to have villages and do all these NGO projects. But your model, I think, really will work. And 10 years later now, we're partnered to do this large scale project to go down to the, the farmer level and do vertical integration, which in a way that will increase incomes 300 times their current amount, if you can believe it. So we're doing some really aspiring stuff. But that first trip, I met the president, Shizano. I met his family. I met his 95-year-old mother of the revered president. I was out in the bush. She was sorting coat beans in a hut behind a beautiful home, but she liked her hut out back with her friends. And she pulled me down at 95. I sat there and she said in Shangan, the local language, she said, please come to my country to help it. And I remember getting the translation of that. I'm like, how more direct can you be than 34 major personalities in Mozambique all greeting you within a three week period? And so when I left there, I'm like, it's clear that I'm supposed to be going to Mozambique. And so that's where I headed probably about a year later. So you sold everything you owned, your big house with a swimming pool, luxury cars, hot air balloon, moved to Africa with your wife, Terry, and your youngest son. But you left behind your daughter in college and your son in his last year of high school. So Tell us about selling your possessions and moving to Mozambique to start a cash company. Yeah, you know, I didn't really think much about it. When you're so in love with God, nothing else matters. And, and people don't understand that. I don't. I would have never understood that. But I will tell you, taking that deep dive, I would encourage everyone to go there because it just truly reprioritizes everything in your life. And so... I left when he said, I want you to move and go to Africa and do this. I was like, well, how high do you want me to jump? And so literally everything that I'd spent my entire life in, and I used to do net worth statements. I was really into how, how important I was and how much money I had and everything. Nothing matters to me like that now. And I just, I gave a lot of it away. I sold it off for hardly anything. I mean, we just, we had, our house wasn't sold until the day before we left. And people are like, you can't leave without selling your house. I'm like, watch me. I mean, I didn't care. I 
actually started cashing in my 401k, which is the stupidest thing in the world to do. And the, the day that I cashed it in, the next day I get a call from this prophetic guy who goes all over the world. And my pastor had called him and said, hey, well, he calls me and he said, yeah, yeah, I hear uh, I prayed for you. And just like all these hundred messages, you know, these prophetic people, they're like have a red line to God. And he's like, well, I see that you're there's a heart in the center of Africa. Are you think about going to Africa? I'm like, maybe I, I don't give him any clues. He said, you have a business background, but really I see as important is speaking into government to make change to help. And he said, I see that you're, you are cashing in your retirement and you think you're giving away your inheritance that was meant for your children. Well, God is telling me that you're investing in an inheritance that will be generations of significant wealth. And I sat there, I went from totally down, totally panicking to completely confident. How much do you want me to cash in, God? And I've cashed in everything, by the way, which is, I think, where God wants me to be, if that makes sense. You know. How difficult was it leaving two children behind with so much uncertainty ahead? How, How did they feel? How did you guys feel? You know, it was tough, but it, everyone was behind it. And we had a lot of people that had did prophetic, that same guy that gave me that right before we moved, he was at our church and he went down all five of us and what he spoke into our lives made it so easy for us to separate, I think, because it was all God's plan and he, God conveyed that to us. And while it was difficult, and I will say, I was given the assurance that this will help your family and bring them closer together more than ever. And so I trusted God. And right now we have a very close family and I think it will grow closer as we move forward. I have my, my wife is director of social impact. My son is director of operations. My daughter is director of administration doing all the U.S. work. And my other son helps from time to time, but he's off in a pretty senior tax level tax firm. So he's having a good time, but I fully expect my entire family to be part of this. And that couldn't have a better blessing than that. I love your family. I met your family. You're a client of Promomash and, and you guys are just fantastic. So it's often said, God, God doesn't allow for greatness without its trials and tribulations. So tell us the story. Now you're in Africa. Tell us the story of how you nearly lost your life. Uh, which one? <laughs> the AK-47 story. Right, yeah. So, you know, the first year, we were probably feeling a little more confident than we should have. We were bringing high school teams in, other teams, and we were refueling two vehicles at a gas station. And, and I was home in bed because I was tired, and my son and my wife were bringing back the other car. And someone had probably followed them from seeing both cars full because we were leading teams that as... They went through the front gate and my son was closing the gate. Guys stopped and they had AK-47s. They pushed their way in. And my other son came in and said, mom's outside screaming. And he was really impressed because I grabbed my nunchucks and I went running through the house, out the front door, ready to do dinner. I had a stun gun in this hand. And luckily the stun gun didn't work. I don't know why it didn't work. I think God shut it down because a guy was pointing an AK-47 at my head about six, seven feet away when I went out the front door. And if I had had that stun gun cracking, he might've shot me. It stopped everything. He took my chuck. He proceeded to wanted to, he wanted to steal the two cars. And he had my wife and my two sons on the front pavement. The, another guy had them. And so he proceeded to bring me into the house, push me all around. He was jabbing with the gun barrel, counting down the end of my life. And I couldn't find the keys. And I was pretty calm. I was actually calmer than I should have been, probably. He was getting close to getting to zero. And so I yelled out to my wife, Terry, where are the car keys? And my wife says, Don, I tell you all the time to put your keys in one spot because someday you're going to really need them and you're not going to know where they are. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's going to be the last thing she hears before the gunshot. 
she's not going to be in a good place. And luckily, the guy got to zero. He looked at me, I looked at him, and he started counting again. Off they went with our cars and everything. But we didn't we didn't really suffer any much trauma. I was concerned about the, them and what they went through, but it didn't appear. We're here, and most... I was just talking with someone today about this, but this would happen nine years ago. They said, when Americans get into trouble, they go back home. And everyone expected me to go back home, the government, this, these officials. And I'm like, I'm not going back home. That doesn't bother me. I said, I came here to make change. And whatever danger I'm going to be in, I understand the cost of what I'm doing. We talked about that today, about how most people leave when the going gets tough. And my whole career has been hitting obstacles where most people pick up their marbles and they go back home. And I love hitting those obstacles. And maybe that AK-47 pushed me around was, was one of those obstacles. But I had no intention. In fact, I moved my family. And about a week later, I was going home to see how my wife was. I was going to have lunch with her. And on the way home, I'm like, God, what was that all about? Why? Why would you switch me and do that and, and have us encounter that? And he said, almost audibly, he said, Don, I'm so proud of you. Not once did you consider leaving. You actually got more galvanized when this happened. And I'm proud of you. And I sat back and I hadn't been thinking about that. I was more resolute than ever that this was going to happen and I was going to accomplish what he set out for me to do. And the fact that you can believe in God's good, the devil's bad, but I know that for a fact, living here, that there are a lot of forces going up against trying to do good. I just like the fact that I succeeded in that negative force coming at me and me not being phased. And so there's been many times like that. I like the fact that we continue to persevere despite what comes up against us. And there's always a solution. There's always a victory. Despite how bad circumstances appear, there's always something better over the horizon. Wow. And especially since there's so much change in your life. So you made a huge faithful transformational change by making a decision to uproot and move to Africa. Was that experience A, one massive change and then a bunch of new normals and details to fulfill in that decision? Or B, do you continue to experience massive change over and over and over again, even after that fateful decision? Yeah, I like new experiences. I could move into a new experience every day. My worry was my wife and my son. They have embraced this really well. This is a wild place. It's like a kind of a lawless place. It's crazy. I go out every day and we have a new word, my son and I, because we traveled together going to work. Instead of yelling at everyone all the time for being crazy on the road and doing stuff that jeopardizes my life and theirs and everything else, we just go fluffles. <laughs> Instead of maybe emitting a bad word, we just say fluffles. So we try not to let it bother us. It's a situation where the people here are great people. They have a great culture. In fact, sometimes I think these people out in the bush that are making $33 a year have it better than we do. They're happy. They just have no health care. They have no electric. They have no running water. They have nothing. But they know how to live, they know how to live well, and they know how to laugh, they know how to tell stories. And so I don't really want to change the culture. I just want them to be able to take care of themselves and eat nutritious food, be educated, have a dignity, have opportunity. None of them really have any dreams. Their idea of success is just to get a job. 80% of the country is farmers. But then the government says, but 99.9% .9 of those farmers are subsistence farmers. So really, 80% of the population is just growing food to survive. That's not employment. And so what we're looking to do is transition them from being subsistence farmers to being cash crop farmers, to be a part of the value chain, to bring cashews into a retailer specific potentially, or just into the Sunshine Nut brand. So we're looking to do all kinds of things that are pretty groundbreaking, quite honestly. Yeah. I can't wait to get into Sunshine and your mission and culture and everything that you're building in a second. I have one more question yeah. about the bold entrepreneur out there who's listening in the audience that's contemplating a life of servitude. What could they expect when they take such a leap of faith? Yeah. 
Oh, boy. I am more fulfilled now than ever, yet I have nothing I had. I have the most richest experiences. We spent today with just five of our orphan boys that we we signed off, they're now ours. We have a, a bunch, a lot of different homes, but they're just beaming all the time. We played soccer with them, and, and I, I posted a picture on Facebook. They were going down a slide. We play soccer with them all the time, and my son plays soccer with them every Saturday. I join them sometimes. But our richness, my wife and I will be going on, we're in the midst of things, and then something will happen where we break down in tears, crying of, this is so good. I never would have imagined life could be this good. And it didn't revolve around a single possession or a trip somewhere or anything other than helping people be something better and pulling them out of a circumstance that's difficult. Or, you know, our kids, some of them have been raped, some of them you know, are out on the street and all the government calls us, we take them in. We pair up a widow with five orphans, create a family in a home similar to Milton Hershey School. And we're just bringing the Milton Hershey concept of taking care of farming communities and taking care of orphans into Sub-Saharan Africa using, instead of Hershey chocolate, Sunshine Nut Company cashews to fund that model. I love that. So let's talk about the Sunshine Approach, which is founded on the basis that companies can have a profound positive impact. Yeah on people's lives. In your TEDx talk, you say, find an idea that you're willing to die for and then start to really live. Give us a little more context about that idea and Sunshine Nuts. This is a, this is kind of a profound thing. You know, you never think that finding that idea and going after it, many people have ideas. They usually stay on paper. And it's very tough for someone to cut the umbilical cord of the American way of life, of a steady job and everything, and nine to five, everything. And so we cut that cord. We went off to an unknown land. We had all kinds of issues. There's issues, and and we go up against those issues all the time. And, And that's part of our calling is to stop out exploitation and corruption and all the evils of what's keeping people bound. But the key for us is The advice I'd have is it's not easy. It's incredibly difficult, but there's nothing more satisfying and enjoyable than doing it. It will materialize. When you do good, you run up against things that do not want you to do good. But if you persevere, there's solutions that come. And uh, we are just coming into the full stride of the idea. And, And now we've got the trust of the government there are still things happening here, but we have more people coming to our side than people trying to take from us and make things difficult for us. So as we continue onward, it's just going to get better and better and better. And I think very soon you're, we're going to see tens of thousands of people have radically different and better lives, probably in the next couple of years. We have so many stories that are forming. You know, the stories that I have are amazing, but there's so many of them out there that if you provide the framework to allow people to flourish, watching them flourish, there's no better thing to experience. So that day in the shower when God told you all about the sunshine approach. Yeah. What's that business model look like? Yeah. So I got out of the shower. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have to do this. So why, how would I make something long lasting and, and transformative? I would have to involve the smallholder farmers, whether it's cocoa, whether it's uh, cashew, whether it's tomato, onion, all the ones that I've seen, their crops are out in the field or they have very little. The cash crops, they usually trade it at the local baraka, which is a small store for they barter it or they get cookies or beer or whatever. And so they never really have any cash. Well, I want to transition. And so it's all about developing a food product that's premium, that will be sold in the best retailers. In this case, our first store was Whole Foods in the U.S. early 2015. The proceeds of that smallholder crop that we make into a premium food product would come back to the communities. 
in the form of, for us, it's a 90% give back of our shareholder distributions. We own 100% of the company. We pledge to give 90% of our distributions back to do orphan care, widow care, farming community care. And there's a growth component there to grow the concept into other nations, into other food crops, so that we always have on our mind to expand this thing. The primary aspects of it, obviously there's the guiding principles, there's the calling of changing things. We are, I will call an icebreaker. We're not content to just get through problems. We wanna break it apart so that others that come behind us don't have the problems that we've had. And we encounter a lot of problems and I garner the resources and the, the help that hopefully we establish that's not a very good thing to be doing. It's not helping the country, it's hurting the country. And hopefully the people behind us aren't having the same type of issues that we are. So, so there are some other aspects of the model, but, but those are the principal things. So you're giving away 90% back, 30, 30, 30. Yeah. What does that look like? Well, it's 30% to Sunshine Houses. Initially, we thought we'd just be giving to orphanages that, you know, that's not our core competency. But we realized that the orphanages weren't quite what we wanted to place children in. And God, in his divine sense, had three children show up on our doorstep through one of our employees. The mother committed suicide after the husband died in a car accident. The three kids were out on the street. And then an employee called us and said, hey, there's three children. And we didn't have the heart to put them into an orphanage that was so unstructured. 40 kids running around, no one to love on them. It's a great step up, but it's not where we wanted to be and what we wanted to support. So we started the Sunshine House program where we build homes or we renovate homes, fill them with everything they need to live, put the kids together with a loving mother and so that we create a family, take care of their education, take care of all their expenses and really pour into them. But being able to pour into these kids has been very, very inspiring. That's what I love about being your customer. You know, yesterday I was at Whole Foods. I purchased the salted version of the um, cashew. Yeah. And, and I have to say I'm a cashew nut because huh, no pun intended. Yeah. But I love them on my salads. You know, I just, every night I have a salad and I put cashews on, on my salad. And I have to say, it feels really, really good to know that your money is being spent by helping others, but it's more than that. Yeah. The cashews are really good. Yeah. They're quality cashews. It's not like you're just supporting a cause and getting a crappy product. The product is incredible. Yeah. So you're doing both. You're combining your missionary work, God's work, and capitalism in the best ways. That's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know enough about the cashew industry when I moved. I'm like, well, I ran a Hershey factory that was box chocolate, 700 employees. We did everything, robots, everything, all these high-speed lines. But in the middle of the factory was a nut roasting room. I'm like, this is simple, I can do this. And it's probably best to do something simple before I get into chocolate in West Africa or whatever. But I didn't realize that most of the world's cashews travel on average about 10,000, 15, 20,000 miles before they end up at the roaster. So all more than half of cashews in the world are grown in Africa. Yet 95% of them are shipped to India or Vietnam. Most of the stuff shipped to India is consumed in India because it's a major cashew consuming country. But about 80 to 85% of everything consumed in the US and in Europe is shipped from Vietnam, which is taken mostly from Africa. But they shell it. So you have three stages of a cashew. I'm, I'm like on QVC right now. I used to always have. <laughs> so here is the cashew nut. And inside there is a cashew kernel that is, has a peel on it. And once you remove the peel, then you have the raw cashew nut. Well, in this form is what they give you in Vietnam. And then you roast it in oil and season it and package it in America or Europe. Well, this is what shipped for months on the water, gaining air and moisture and becoming stale and soggy and bland. And so when I first went into Whole Foods, they're all cashew connoisseurs. And I, I, I went in there in 2000, I like 2013, and I brought samples. The next time I came in, I was with all the VPs and things. Next time I came in from the top floor, the CEO level, 
they came in, they grabbed all my packages and said, we run this company, we're taking all these caches. And they left and everyone was laughing and like, Don, you've ruined us. We all love cashews. Now we can't stand anything that isn't your cashews because we didn't know we were eating old, bland, stale, chalky cashews. Now that we've had these buttery, creamy, crunchy, flavorful cashews, you can't go back. You've ruined us. I'm like, that's a ruining that I love to have happen. Yeah, I'll keep on doing that every day. Yep. So let's go deep. At one time, God asked you to trust him. Was there any moment where you lost trust in God when he tested your will? Ah, oh, that's a tough question. You want to know why? I now realize that God develops your faith. He's always there. And when I say to people, God is not an 1159 God to me. He's a 1205 God. Okay, it hits midnight. I think I'm done. I'm on the ground in a fetal position, sucking my thumb. Saying, what am I going to do now? And God's like, comes up with a better solution than I could ever possibly imagine, takes care of whatever issues and says, why aren't you, uh, why are you on the ground not trusting me? You have it enough and you understand that he's making you into something better that can withstand the pressures. And I know from my experiences, I used to be able to handle a lot. I joke like what I used to be able to handle that people used to think is so great. I'm like, they wouldn't believe what I handle now. And, and so there is no time that I lost trust in God. If there was anything, I thought I let God down and that I, I fell off the path or I went the wrong direction. And that bothered me more than the potential of not trusting God. It was more that I'm not good enough. I didn't do things right. And never has that stuck. It always comes back to absolutely not. We love, love what you're doing. Keep going. You're making me proud. I mean, there's nothing more intoxicating than being in line with God, moving in his direction. So those listening, everybody has different faiths and beliefs and whether you believe in, in, in a God, whether you believe in a higher self. But I think the lesson here is don't lose faith. Yeah. And, and we are not a proselytizing. We're not here to co convert. I'm just living out my faith, wanting to demonstrate God's love. And what I get all over the world, I won a United Nations Award in Rio de Janeiro in 2016. It was the first annual Business for Peace. It was after the Olympics. So they invited me. They paid my, my wife and I's way, stayed at the Rio de Janeiro, the Copacabana. And I'm telling my testimony, and it was an interfaith. I've been in a lot of interfaith where I've shared on platforms with Confucius, descendant next to me, Muslim, Hindu, everyone. And I share my story like I'm doing right now. And it brings people together. And they're like, we love Jesus. You know, Jesus is an amazing guy. And, and everyone should love Jesus. There's nothing, anything should, people should be upset. They should be upset of Christians probably by the way that they try and interpret what Jesus would do. Okay. But what I love is when we're together in that environment Everyone wants to help those in need. And the most common thing I get all over, I actually told my story to the United Nations, a senior UN person on the way up to the Christ the Redeemer statue, going up the tram. She said, I keep hearing about your story. Would you sit with me for the half hour on the way up and tell me your story? So I, I told her story. She's in tears. She's like, Don, you need to come to the United Nations as a man of faith, doing things to help make the world better. Would you come and talk to us? Because all we hear about religion is how it divides and causes wars and everything. And we need to hear from people who are doing things to make the world a better place. This is why every year we're best for the world, top 10% of B Corps, because we're concentrating not on our faith or anything, but living out our faith and doing the things that God wants to do all over the world, which is love people take people out of uh, difficult circumstances, especially widows and orphans. It's all over the Bible. It's amazing how much love you have and those around you have, but what's it like to witness the worst in humanity? Yeah, it's not good. 
sometimes I want to be a monk and just go out into the woods and not deal with society. (laughs) No, I talk about this a lot. People have good in them. And one of the great things about doing what we're doing is it brings out the best in people. People want to help people. But without any, any compass or without any direction, without any plan to do that, you wallow in this world of self-gratification and selfishness and expanding your portfolio and building your wealth and everything and everything designed for self rather than others. And if there's one thing I've learned, God wants you to die to self. That's what this cross means. Die to self and be thinking about others and me, God and others. And so that's a natural thing that happens automatically without even thinking about it. I mean, I went from a a situation where I can fully understand where a lot of people are at. And I just would love for them to be able to transition to where we're going because the world would be a different place, not because of our actions, but just because of the attitude that you have by going that direction. What keeps you up at night? Finances. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) You gave it all away. (laughs) No, no, it's more funding. You know, right now, people don't want to invest in Mozambique because they're beheading people up north. They have a lot of things in the news about corruption. And it's a difficult place. It was just voted five poorest countries in the world. But also, that's outside of Mozambique. Then within Mozambique, the banks here, they charge you like 20, 25%, plus a lot of fees. And then they do things that they're not working for you, you're working for them. And these things of just getting, being able to grow without having to rely on people that are wanting to really profit off what you're doing. And so trying to find the right people that really understand the goodness of what we're trying to do. We're not personally gaining anything. I make a 10th of what I used to make and I'm perfectly fine with that. I drive a 20 some year old vehicle. We live very modestly and I couldn't be happier. And even when, you know, we're starting to really, we're we're all over the US, we've just shipped into Europe. We're gonna be on all these airlines now as with our single serve packages, this small package you're gonna see. We're going into the Middle East. We're very close to getting into Asia and we just found a distributor that will take us all through Africa. So we could, we're actually tripling the size of our factory right now just because things are going well. But more importantly, we're going vertically integrated to really do Project Sunshine, which is impacting literally thousands of smallholder farmers, bringing them from an income of $33 per year on average to potentially over $10,000 per year. Radical 300 times their current income, but along with that, putting everything they need to flourish in front of them. They're gonna have to work hard, but they finally will not be cheated and exploited They'll be given a market of Sunshine Nut Company or retailers. They'll be given all the services. They'll be provided with water and electric and education and everything, even health care and dental care, which they don't have. I walked through a village last week. I was camping in a village way out and I was walking with the elders and we came about a bunch of sticks. I'm like, what's this? And that's like, well, you know, we built the schools out of Kinesu reeds and grass roofs. That's what the children, they don't have any desk. They sit on the, the sand. But this was a maternity clinic that they tried to build for the women to have babies and it never materialized. And it made me think, they don't even have a room or a clinic or anything to have babies. That's where we can do so much better with the proceeds of Sunshine Nut Company. And that's what we intend to do. Amazing story. I can speak with you for hours and hours and hours. I'd like to close up my interviews with the following question. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? That's a tough one. I think you you have to stop being portions of yourself that aren't the desirable portions because there's a lot of good in everyone and you keep that part. And then who you become is really, it's there, but it needs to be activated. 
So I, I'm the same person, but I've just understood and awakened who God had me all along from the start. I don't count my net value. Money is not important to me anymore. I cry. I used to love like Matrix and Kung Fu. I have a lot of martial art background and everything. Now I love a good chick flick. Anything that has a great story that I can sit there and my wife and my son will say, Dad, are you crying? I'm like, yep, I'm crying. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this. I, okay, so it's like taking your heart of stone and making it a, a soft-hearted person. And I've gotten over my ego. I don't need to drive a nice car. I don't need to have nice clothes. And much to the chagrin of my son sometimes, I said, Dad, you need to look better. You're a CEO, come on. I'm like, okay, I'll dress up. I, I can still look good in a suit. It's really, what's important to me now? I'm the same person. I've just shifted my priorities to something that's really, really rewarding and fulfilling. From the things that think every, People think that these things, going up the corporate ladder, making it, you know, and John 10, 10 says the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you an abundant life. And everyone thinks that abundant life is living the high life, driving around a Porsche, having everything you want and then being able to give to the poor. But really, an abundant life is not material things. The abundant life is really helping, being in the purpose that you were designed to be, fulfilling the causes that you were designed to overcome, and seeing the benefits that others will not have the opportunity to see if they don't go that direction. So this is why people are sitting in midlife crises. You know, most millionaires, you read statistics, they're not very happy. They've gone up the wrong ladder. And I was lucky enough to get up that ladder high enough to say, hey, I'm not going any further up this ladder. I'm moving. And so luckily, I think I'm on the right ladder. Time will tell if I am. That's what the seven hats is all about. It's about fulfillment, not achievement. Let's tell all the seven hatters the latest of what you've been up to, where they can get your product, how they can connect with you, anything else you want to share with them. Yeah. So, you know, we've got social media. We've got Sunshine Net Company on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Our website, we have things going on there. We're doing a major project called Project Sunshine. There's going to be a video out soon and maybe a documentary about that. Just a, this holistic solution where people do things in isolation and it never works. So we're going to do everything holistically with this comprehensive solution with the, mi the mini factory in the village being the engine of transformation to catapult all these smallholder farmers into having a market for, and not only that, but being able to be an entrepreneur to add value to their crop. So that's exciting stuff. Those are the, the years you can get. If, if you wanna buy our product, you know, go into any store. If you don't see it, ask for it because we're in all the major distributors and you wouldn't believe the power of an individual saying, I want Sunshine Nut Company cashews, do you know this story? I mean, we've gotten people to get us into stores, you know, but we're in most of the most of the premium retailers. If you can't find it, get on our website. We've got some great deals, sunshinenuts.com, or we're a platinum level um, performer on amazon.com. So some great deals there as well. So we encourage you to just be a partner with us and, and help us do some great things in the world. I'm a huge fan of your product. I'm a huge fan of yours and your family. You. I'm honored that you made time to speak to the Seven Hatters. And I really hope that your message is going to resonate with the listeners who are looking, like myself, to give back, to wear their philanthropist hat, hat number six. Mm. And um, I can't wait to continue to follow your story, support you in any way that I can, and spread your message and message of hope and love and spirit. Thank you, Don, for coming on The Seven Hats. Thank you. And uh, thank you for being the business partner that you are with us. I appreciate it. Of course. You've done us great stuff. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Don. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as 
what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. It's no secret that hat number six, the hat of the philanthropist, is the hat that I'm aspiring to the most. I've always lived my life focusing on my immediate circle, despite having an internal yearning to help others outside my circle who are in need. Maybe I'm scared, or maybe I'm just holding on to my excuses. However, courage doesn't imply the absence of fear. Courage is finding strength in the presence of fear. And that's why this episode hits home for me. In Don's case, God spoke and Don listened. He sold his possessions, left all he knew behind to begin a life of servitude to those less fortunate. How many of us would have the courage to do so? I can only imagine the trials and tribulations that Don and his family endured on his journey. But with his love and trust of God, he found strength in the presence of fear. Let me tell you, if I had an AK-47 pointed at my head with my entire family at risk, I don't know if I would have persevered, which is why I admire Don so much. I hope that all the seven hatters connect with Don and support his mission to stop exploitation, corruption, and evils that keep those less privileged bound. As Don says, it's not easy. It's in fact incredibly difficult. But in the end, there's nothing more satisfying and enjoyable than doing it. Don closes his TEDx talk with the following. I know this is my, my purpose. I know this is what I was created to do. And I've found the idea that I'm willing to die for. Do you want to live, start living abundantly, living life to the fullest? It's not material possessions. I tried that. That's not the answer. Find an idea that you're willing to die for and then start to really live. Wow. If that's not powerful, I don't know what is. And I hope that one day I can also make an impact of such magnitude. I want to thank Don once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom, generosity, and love for humanity. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.